going to invite you this morning to turn with me to Luke chapter 16 as we continue in our study, the Gospel of Luke. And let us now draw our attention to these verses from Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. So let us stand for the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 14. Hear now the word of the living God. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify themselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is lightly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of of God. The law and the prophets were until John since that time. The kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do plead for thy mercies this morning as we come to this passage of Scripture. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we lack the understanding, particularly in certain passages of Scripture, of Scripture, But we ask, O Lord, that by the work of your Spirit, you would come and give understanding and an illumination to thy word. And we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I'm thankful my voice is better today than it was last week, but still having a little difficulty this morning, so I urge you to pray for me as I preach this morning. As we come to this passage of Scripture, we find here a, a passage that has been a source of controversy for many in understanding the relationship of it to this parable that Jesus described last week about the shrewd steward. But as we consider this morning the call to undivided obedience, Jesus gives this parable of a man whom he commended for his service as a steward. He did not commend him for the shrewd way he went about doing it, but he does commend him for what he did. Recall from verse 8, the Lord commended the unjust steward. Notice he calls him unjust. He commends him because he did wisely. And so the call there is for the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, like the children of the world, to be wise in how they plan, in how they use their resources 
for the glory of God. And so this entire passage speaks to us about the need for using particularly our finances, but every gift that God has given us for his honor and glory. And so there was a call to generosity in that parable of the steward. It was a call to use what God has given us for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. As we go back to verse 4, there was some question over that. And again, there are a number of of interpretive issues uh, surrounding this passage. But as the question comes, who are the they that were received into the houses? The steward resolves to use his stewardship that was commended. And so the they are those whom he went to that owed the master money. And so he used that and he invested that so that when he was put out of his stewardship, that he might be received, that he might regard them as friends, children who do wisely. And so the call is for us to be wise in how we use whatever resources. Many of us will not have lots of money in this life. In fact, when you see what uh, they're doing with our uh, retirement accounts now and some of the conservative estimates on what may happen, it's a reminder to us that everything we have, the Lord owns and he gives us all that we need for this life. And so we are to use it to his glory. And so then the final call to those disciples, he ushers there in verse 13 and says, No servant can serve two masters. He will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And so you cannot serve God, mammon. Mammon there doesn't just simply refer to money, but it refers to all of the wealth and all of the blessings and gifts that God has given to us. And so we find in chapter 16 two parables that speak about true riches, about the call to using our wealth to the glory of God. We find there the parable of the steward, and later we will see the parable of the rich man. And so in between both of these parables, we see this response that Jesus deals with. He has been speaking primarily to his disciples. But as we come to verse 14, the text tells us, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous. Here we find the response of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had been observing. They had been listening. They had been engaged in what Jesus was saying to his disciples. But the text tells us, and the Pharisees also. But notice he describes them as those who were covetous. Those who desired things for themselves. And so covetousness, as we see in the heart of these scribes and Pharisees, is enslaved to sin. And so as Jesus calls the disciples to obedience, as he calls them to follow him with what God has given to them, 
immediately the text tells us that when they heard these things, they derided him. Most commentators are in agreement that this is one of the few times in which we find the Pharisees scoffing at the Lord Jesus. Now, we've already seen the conflict that Christ has with the scribes and Pharisees. We've already seen the contention, and that will continue. It doesn't decrease. But here it's more than a contention. It's actually a scoffing. It's actually a deriding him. Not because of what he said, but because he indicted them and called them covetous. It is not a usual response that he would have received, and yet the response of the Pharisees indicates that he struck a nerve. They desired to use their wealth. They used the money and the wealth that they had as a sign of their faithfulness. They were outwardly obedient to the law of God. They outwardly did those things that were prescribed in the Old Testament. But yet in their hearts, they had no desire for the kingdom of God. They were covetous. They desired the things of this world. But these Pharisees had that mentality that some today have. That wealth is an indication of their obedience. And we see that with the wealth and prosperity gospel that is taught today. God desires to bless us with wealth and it shows a sign of faith. That's the same attitude that the Pharisees had. You don't, you don't often see that and that's often missed. But they thought that because God had blessed them, it's because of their obedience. And so Jesus comes and hits them right where they need to be hit. He rebukes them, and that response does not go well with the scribes and the Pharisees. They derided him. As we see the Pharisees deriding the Lord Jesus, we find that they were greedy, that they wanted the things that they had for their own benefit, for their own glory and honor. Draw your attention back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. Matthew chapter 22 is a wonderful passage. Jesus using parables to speak um, about the call to discipleship. But there particularly in verse 14, when Jesus says, Many are called, but few are chosen. It says in verse 15 that the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him. The word there is to trip him up, that they might confuse him or entangle him in his talk. And as Jesus uh, there in that passage reminds them that they are lovers not of God, but they are lovers of of their own self. There in verse 19, Jesus, or verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness and asked, Why tempt ye, you hypocrites? Why tempt me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. 
and they brought unto him a penny. And so here is, he's talking to them about their wealth, but in the context of Luke chapter 15, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew, calls them to holiness and piety in how they practice their generosity. And so there was this tendency for the scribes and Pharisees to practice their piety before men. So here's the offering box. And so the people would bring their offerings and place it in the box. And the Pharisee would come and say, oh, I'm putting my offering in the box. He wanted people to know that he was giving so that the people might realize that they were blessed, that they were doing the Lord's will. And so here, they were greedy for their own selves. They were greedy for the Lord's, for not for the Lord's kingdom, but for their own means. As we think about that response of the Pharisees there, that they derided him. It's that word that shows that they were scoffing, that they were mocking him. Have you ever had that occasion? I know I have as a Christian when people mock you or they scoff at you for your Christian faith. Well, this is exactly what they were doing here. But Peter and his epistle reminds us that there will come scoffers and mockers in this age, that it will be one of the signs of the end of the age that scoffers would come who would deny the very Lord. And so even though they prided themselves in being religious leaders and in loving the law of God, they showed they hated the law of God, they showed they hated God because they were mocking and scoffing the Lord Jesus Christ who brought the warning, who brought them to realize that they were practicing their piety for men to see, that they were practicing their goodness not for the benefit of others, that they might show that their hearts really were divided. The Pharisees had that divided heart. They had spoken against the Lord. They ridiculed him. They sneered him. They mocked at him. Him, They continued in their stub, stubborn rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. They knew the scriptures. They could go back and see all the prophecies, particularly in Isaiah chapter 53, that spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet they were stubborn in their hearts. They were scoffers. And here's the warning that Jesus gives not just to the Pharisees, but the warning for every age that we must stand against scoffing and mocking the very word that comes to light. They despise the word of God. They despise the things that Jesus brought to them. And so we find here a strong warning that scoffers and mockers in every age will incur the judgment of God. And so we need to be careful. We do not fall into the covetousness of the, the Pharisees, that we do not fall into that desire for things, that desire 
for our own pleasure, our own glory. Glory. In the parable of the shrewd or the unjust steward, we find the use of resources in a godly way. That this man desired to practice his piety and charity in a godly way. But we come to this passage and find the opposite in those who profess to be followers of God, who profess to be religious leaders. They did not use their resources in a way that is pleasing to them. And so obviously the the response of these Pharisees is they were indignant that Jesus would even speak about the fact that they were covetous. And so Jesus instructs his disciples to follow wisdom in how they use their resources and to be careful and on guard against scoffing and mocking the very Lord who came to save sinners. And so as we see the application in this parable that was before us last week, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ not only draws attention to their response, but we also see the rebuke of the Lord Jesus. We find there in verse 6, 15, Jesus said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Notice Jesus didn't respond in the same way as the Pharisees did. Jesus never responded with with that kind of sarcasm. He didn't respond with that kind of scoffing or deriding that the Pharisees did. But Jesus just simply spoke a word of truth and said, You seek to justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. There's a tendency for all of us to want to get agitated at a, at a point like this, but Jesus never became agitated. He who was perfect in, in all of his obedience, he who was perfect in mind and heart, did not respond in the same way. Because he is the Son of God. He's the one who came to show compassion and mercy. And so we find that oftentimes the response that we give to scoffers can be very much the same way they respond to the Lord Jesus. And so we need to be careful that even when people scoff and mock at us, we should not respond in a way that shows that we are not his disciples. But here in the, the um, rebuke of the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we find the Lord Jesus calling them to examine their own hearts. Notice Jesus says, you seek to justify yourselves. They were always justifying themselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. Here the Lord Jesus Christ reminds them that in their hearts they are far from God. 
It's a strong rebuke when Jesus says, the Lord God knows your hearts. And so that had to be a very difficult rebuke for them to hear. And sometimes that rebuke needs to be given to some, particularly to scoffers and those who despise the gospel. God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And so here's a warning to us, even in the rebuke of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we need to be careful. We need to examine our own hearts to make certain that we are not like these Pharisees who are covetous or who seek to please themselves and not please God. So the financial resources that they had were a sign of their heart. Their resources that they had show that they were idolatrous, that they did not desire to please the Lord with their wealth. But the problem is, it's not just the problem of their wealth, but it's the attitude of their hearts that Jesus draws out in this passage. And so here we find the Lord Jesus Christ rebuking these Pharisees for scoffing, for not giving um, heed to the word of God, and that they were an abomination in the sight of God. This is strong language. In every occasion when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, there's always a strong contention. There's always strong language. And yet in that, he simply shows them that God knows your hearts. There's a lesson for us that when we strive, when we are covetousness, or when we are coveting things, when we are not using the things that God has given us, when we're not being generous in the things that God has given us, when we practice our piety for others to see, that we are showing the condition of our own hearts that God had indeed showed that he knows their hearts and they need to examine them in light of his word. Now, thirdly, we come to the right standard of holiness. Now, this is where commentators are all over the place. And this is where some will even go so far as to say that Luke just inserts things in this section of the scripture that have no connection. How is it that Luke could record in his introduction that he wrote to Theophilus about the things that Jesus did and how he could write an orderly account of these things if there's no connection, if they're just kind of disjointed? And so it's important to see that in the context of this call to undivided obedience, Jesus judges them in light of the law of God. He states there in verse 16, The law and the prophets were until John since the time of the kingdom of God is preached. 
and every man presses in to it. There's much here about possessions and how we use it. But particularly here in verses 16 through 18, we see Jesus bringing in the law of God as that which judges their hearts, the law of God which judges how they use their wealth and resources to the glory of God. The Pharisees, instead of using their wealth and their possessions to make friends, find that they are friends of their wealth. And so Jesus begins to take them to the Old Testament and remind them that he ushered in the kingdom that they see now. There is a connection here between the preaching under the new covenant and the connection to the law under the old. Here's a pattern we see here in verses 16 through 18. That's the pattern he's impressing upon the Pharisees. That this is the promise and the fulfillment. The era of the promise lasted from the time of the Old Testament until John the Baptist. But now we find the era of fulfillment beginning with the ministry of the Lord Jesus. His call, and we've seen this before, his mission is to call people to repentance and to bring them in to a new community. He calls them to a life of prayer. We saw that in chapter 13. He calls them to a life of love. He calls them to a life of persistent obedience. He calls them to avoid those things and those obstacles in their life of obedience. But you see that here in verse 16, that the law and the prophets were until the time of John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So Jesus here is reminding these Pharisees that the law and the prophets were the means that God used to teach them. They should have known better. They should have known what uh, sinful and unholy people they were. They should have known how greedy they were. They should have known that their hearts were full of sin and strife because the law would have showed them that. The law and the prophets they had. And then he says, but now you have the kingdom of God with the preaching that comes with that kingdom. Even under the Old Testament, there were those prophecies that spoke of the fact that the Messiah would come and that his ministry would be a ministry which would proclaim liberty to those who were in captivity, to proclaim sight to the blind, to proclaim the acceptable gear of the Lord. All of that was foretold in the Old Testament. And now he says to them that the era of the promise has been fulfilled with the coming of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it makes perfect sense for Jesus to bring verse for Luke to place within this account verses 16 through 18 because it calls them to that perfect standard by which they were to live. 
Now, there's a phrase at the end of verse 16. Matthew uses the fact that many people take the kingdom of God by violence. But here, Luke says that since the time of the law and the prophets, the kingdom is preached and every man presseth in to it. When he speaks of pressing in to the kingdom, it has reference to the fact that they would see the success of the preaching in the gospel age and that many crowds of people would come and would literally press in. You remember the account of the woman who had that issue of blood? And the text says that the crowd was thronging around Jesus and she went up and what did she do? She simply touched the hem of his garment, and she was made whole. And so we find that the crowds were pressing in to see the Lord Jesus. Now some would argue that point, and certainly the Pharisees were pushing against that. They didn't want to see people coming into the kingdom. This was the thing that was just annoying to them to see these people coming and hearing the Lord Jesus Christ speak. And then they wanted to press in. They wanted to draw in to the kingdom. And so Jesus shows us here in verses 16 through 18, the enduring aspect of the law, that the kingdom of God was ushered in, that the law of God was always the standard by which men were judged. And so Jesus is judging their hearts by the law of God. Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Here, the tittle refers to just a small dot or uh, a vowel pointing that would have been used in Hebrew. But he says that heaven and earth will pass away easier than one tittle of the law. And so he shows that the law will not fail, that the law will continue to be the perpetual means by which God judges men and women. And so Jesus here shows us that in this kingdom age, there's the advancing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though they sought to justify themselves before men, Jesus condemned them and said that many were entering the kingdom of God, that the Gentiles were coming into the kingdom before they were because of their disobedience, because of their scoffing to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice... Verse 18, and again, many would say verse 18 is just kind of put in here. That some of these things are out of order, that they're in a different order when you look at Matthew's account of the gospel, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the application of all of those Ten Commandments. And so here in verse, seven, verse 18, he gives an example of what law would not pass away. They had this idea that a man could simply put his wife away for any and every reason. 
you know what? I don't like the way she cooks. I'm going to put her away. I don't like the way she does this. I'm going to put her away. And so they were looking for exceptions to this. And so Jesus brings the, the um, marriage law here in verse 18 to show an example that even this law, which they took exception to, would not pass away. Whosoever putteth his wife away and marries another committeth adultery. Luke doesn't give a whole lot of detail, particularly about the grounds for putting your wife away. He just simply says that one who puts his wife away and marries another committeth adultery. And that was common in first century Judaism. But you know what? It's common in our day. It's common within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will find even those within the church who have been in, in numerous marriages who have violated that commandment. Now, there are grounds for divorce. Jesus doesn't deal with that here. He's just simply using this marriage illustration to show that no law shall pass away, that it will fulfill his purpose And so Jesus is reminding them, you take exceptions to everything. You take exceptions to the law as you please. And yet, this law continues to abide forever. It is one that cannot be taken away. And so Jesus impresses upon these Pharisees the authority that he has as the Son of God. And we see that authority in His preaching of the gospel, in His calling men to repentance, in His calling them to turn away from their sin. The Scriptures, Jesus shows us, are the means that are sufficient for life and godliness. There is no other standard by which God judges the hearts of men and women. They are of greater weight and authority. They convince people of the truth. So the question for us this morning is, do we rightly regard the glory of the Scriptures of both the Old and New Testament? It is, is it our desire to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of those sins and to turn away. And so we find here that the Lord Jesus Christ esteems the glory of both the Old and New Testament. For about six, eight years of my ministry, I was in an independent denomination that had this view that the Old Testament and the New Testament were completely separate and disjointed that those things in the Old Testament had no application to believers under the New Testament. And they would argue that we're not under the law, that we're under grace. And it wasn't dispensationalism, but it might as well have been, because there's this idea that the Old Testament and the New Testament are two separate covenants. But they're not two separate covenants. Jesus shows that here. The law and the prophets were there as an era of promise of leading them 
to that fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't see the Old Testament as that era or that period of promise that leads us to Christ, then everything in the New Testament will not make any sense. And so in Jesus calling his disciples to repentance, he calls them to that life of obedience. I want to draw some application here as we go back to verse 16. I think this is a beautiful thing that the Lord Jesus Christ brings out. When he brings in the application of the law and how in the kingdom age the law is not put aside, the law is still upheld in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the characteristics of the fulfillment of the law and the abiding of validity of the law in the kingdom of Christ is preaching, which sees the pressing in of every man. And verse 16 says there's a striving, there's a yearning to enter into that kingdom. As we began back in chapter 15, verse 1, the text says that they drew near unto him, that is the publicans and the sinners, to hear him. And so there is a picture here in verse 1, chapter 15, of people striving to enter the kingdom of God, of this desire to come into the kingdom. Unless we think that this striving is some kind of self-help or or self-righteousness or works righteousness, that is farther from the truth. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon entitled, Pressing In to the Kingdom of God, as a wonderful sermon entitled Pressing Into the Kingdom and the Call to Press Into the Kingdom. But he says there, in reference to verse 16, that the work and the office of John the Baptist consisted in preaching of the kingdom of God. Kingdom, the preaching of the kingdom, was to prepare the way for them to succeed It was a means by which the people were prepared to enter into the kingdom. Another thing Jonathan Edwards said in that sermon was, we observe how success is as Jesus began his ministry. He says, every man presses into the kingdom of God, which he preached. And we see this greatness in two ways. He says, we see the generalness of this when men and women universally are coming into the kingdom. That as the Lord Jesus Christ comes and preaches, as he baptizes them there in Luke chapter 13, we see the people desiring to come into the kingdom of God. But also, he says, that not only do we see the general aspect of people coming into the kingdom, but we see the success of, of it in the way that the hearers came and pressed in. And then he refers to this passage in Matthew eleven twelve, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And so there's more that could be said here, but in that sermon, he draws forth a number of applications 
by calling men and women to seek salvation in Christ by pressing in to the kingdom. We live in a day, and even within the church, when many people have a very low view of the law. They think of the Christian life as just having believed and trusted in Jesus. Now they just kind of walk along their merry way. But when we see Matthew's um, verse here in verse 12 of chapter 11, when we see the people pressing into the kingdom, we see an urgency. We see a desire to do what the Lord calls us to do. Many people today believe that the Christian life is an easy life, that it's an easy road. But when you read the old writers, when you read the scriptures, we see that the pressing into the kingdom is spiritual warfare. That pressing into the kingdom is this holy violence where people strive to enter the kingdom. And as we enter into the kingdom, guess what? We find ourselves striving against Satan. We find ourselves striving against the world. We find ourselves striving against our own flesh. And so we must use the weapons that God has given to us. Thomas Watson in his wonderful book, Heaven Taken by Storm, calls us to take heaven, to press into the kingdom. And he says the means by which God gives us to press into the kingdom are those things that we're lax in. Reading the scriptures, hearing the word of God, prayer, meditation, self-examination, and the due observance of the Lord's day. And so as we think about the pressing in, we see that this is a sign of the messianic age. That the nations would stream into the kingdom. It's that picture you see there in the revelation of the apostle John. That the nations are streaming into the kingdom. Talk about live streaming. Well, here's a great example of people streaming in to the kingdom of God. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he calls his disciples to go and preach the gospel. He calls his ambassadors in every age to go and preach the gospel. And how do we hear that message? How do we hear that gospel? I've said this before, but sadly, I think we live in an age when we have so many favorite preachers, favorite teachers, favorite radio or speakers or people on sermon audio or in places. And we, we have a tendency to go to all kinds of places looking to hear the word. But the ordinary means that God has given the church is to regularly hear that word preached. And that is the one means by which we press in to the kingdom in this gospel age. There's a call and a duty for each one of us to press in to the kingdom. Let me ask the young people who are sitting here this morning. You've had the sign and the mark of baptism placed upon you. But that does not presume your salvation. Let me say that again. It does not presume that you're in a state of saving grace. But it is a call for you to be saved. It is a call for you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question for you is, do you desire to be saved? Do you desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ?
Are you diligently using the means that God has given to enter? It's always wonderful to see our children sitting up here in the front reciting the catechism. But are you just reciting words? Or are you meditating upon those words? Are you thinking about who is God? What is sin? These things that you so easily can memorize is a call for us to consider what it means to follow Christ. And so there's a desire to be, there should be a desire to be saved. There should be a diligence to enter into the kingdom. And there should be a pressing in without delay. When Jesus called people to repent and to hear the good news, he called all, even the Pharisees and the Gentiles, he called Jews and Gentiles both to enter in to the kingdom. And so is there a daily desire to take heaven by storm? Don't assume that, okay, when the end of my life comes, I'll be in heaven. Every funeral you go to, everybody wants that guarantee and that assurance that they're in heaven. But only the Lord Jesus Christ can give us that guarantee if we have not received him by faith, if we're not pressing in, if we're not seeking to enter into the kingdom, then we will not enter into the kingdom because there are many, even in Jesus' ministry, that pressed in. And so I would urge you today as we think about pressing in to the kingdom, the urgency of making your calling and your election sure. There's an urgency for you to come and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We still live in an age when people just feel like they fulfill their Sunday obligation and then the rest of the week they just do their own thing. But the call to discipleship means that we press in hard, that we press in, that we make it our duty to press into the kingdom. The kingdom, that Thomas Watson says, must be taken by storm. We fight against principalities and powers. We fight against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We must strive. We must contend against these things. And we must press in to the kingdom of God. Are you pressing in today? Do you have that desire, that willingness to enter into the kingdom. I would urge you today to not delay. But I would urge you to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he may be near. Repent of those sins of the heart. Repent of those covetous ways. Confess before the Lord those things that you love. Those secret idols of your heart. And may we strive with the strength and the power of His Spirit, to press in, to desire the kingdom of God. Because when we press into the kingdom, when we have that diligence and that desire to press into the kingdom, that is all we have on our mind. Nothing else takes priority but the desire to be His people and to press into the kingdom. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give Thee thanks this morning for the wonderful age in which we live. 
as we see the advancement of the kingdom of heaven, as we see the advancement of the gospel, even from the time of the apostles, even until now, we see that many are pressing into the kingdom. We're seeing people in many tribes and nations of the earth pressing into the kingdom. And Lord, we would plead today that there would be a pressing into the kingdom of God here in this congregation. We pray that there would be a greater call to undivided obedience. Lord, we ask that you would make our hearts desirous to do the things that are pleasing to you, that you would give us hearts that would desire to enter into the kingdom, to do all those things that you have called us to do. Lord, we know we are up against those forces all around us, but we pray that we would stand firm as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would strive to enter into the kingdom. So, Lord, convict our hearts even this morning as we consider the call and the duty to press into the kingdom without delay. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.